We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Today in the studio, I have Mr. Richard Johnson. And for those of you who don't know who Richard is, let me give you a little bit of information about him. Richard is a rare bird, man. Like, he's the type of person that seems to have no limits to their creativity. He's known around the world for a variety of things, which some of you may actually know him from his times at the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, where he held down a piano chair for a while. If not, maybe you noticed that time he ran around the world. Like, he ran, ran like two feet, bam, bam, ran around the world. If not, maybe you saw or heard him when your favorite player was dunked on at the Phillips Arena. He was that guy in the back helping direct a live band to get your juices flowing, get you cheering or booing when your favorite player got dunked on or your favorite player made a terrible play and you booed him. I guess you could say he's the modern day equivalent of a renaissance man. Musician, educator, overall good human being, Let's welcome Richard Johnson to the Working Artist Project. Hello, I am here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just want to start things out, uh, getting like a, a background, you know, like where you're from, how you started playing piano. Okay. Um, my name is Richard Johnson. I come from a musical family. My dad plays piano and organ in the church. Uh, my grandparents sang. I've had uncles that play. My great uncles, UV Blake. Oh, um, pretty much everybody does something because if you don't, uh, you'll be left on the side looking sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom, she sings. She doesn't sing professionally, but she can actually out-sing most singers, but she she doesn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so that's what we do. My brother plays. Oh, okay. He does all the Latin jazz stuff. He oh. plays piano. Where does he live? Uh, he's in Atlanta. He has okay. a company called Johnson Media, and they do marketing for like Bank of America and all kind of crazy stuff, and he's got books out, whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. UV Blake is your great uncle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's yeah. kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wild. So you came up knowing knowing that? or knowing uh, about I didn't UV? know that, actually, until my cousin, who's an actor on TV, a major actress, we were hanging out talking about arts because she plays piano and makes movies and stuff. She was telling me, and then I started going back look at the photos, and I was like, oh, that's who that guy is. Or was. <laughs> so it's like he got pictures of UB Blake in your house and didn't even my like, grandparents yeah wow yeah, didn't even so realize it yeah my grandma was like oh UB <laughs> yeah he bangs on the piano damn <laughs> that's how they look at this stuff wow I had another uncle Uncle Ben he played strides and it was mm-hmm. just normal okay so like how did you come to the piano uh, my dad you know playing he plays in church every weekend still so just hearing it growing up, you know, at night, hearing him practice, hearing him practice in the day. I would go to bed, he'd be practicing. I'd wake up, he'd be practicing. Then he'd go to his regular job. So oh, it was wow. normal. You know, a lot of people say, how do you sleep with all the noise and stuff? In my house, you don't want to hear it, you don't sleep. <laughs> so, yeah. So you, he only played gospel or was he also? Yeah, he, he was gospel piano. He could mm-hmm. play other stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, in our house, it was, it was the hymns and gospel and spiritual music. So, yeah. Wow. And so you went to school, you, you started playing piano at home or in church? Yeah, he showed then... me. Yeah, and then um, took a couple of lessons here and there. And mm-hmm. then we moved around a bit by the time we made it to Boston. 
uh, I got serious about it and then started uh, practicing there. And then my band teacher, it was interesting, my band teacher in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, trumpet player was a very serious trumpet player. Okay. And uh, he was into jazz. Oh, okay. So when we moved from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Boston, it just so happened we went from one music department to another that was run by another trumpet player who was serious in the jazz. Ah. So it was actually, you know, I guess it was supposed to be that way, but they were both in the miles. They were in the States. They had the same record collection. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really weird. So when we <laughs> moved, I went there. I was like, oh, I've kind of seen this. I knew more than the other kids because of my other director. Mm-hmm. But it was just like a continuation. Right. So it was pretty natural. And then the chorus teacher was a big, huge Oscar Peterson fan. Oh, dang. Yeah, he played piano. Okay. So um, it was actually now that I look back at it very... That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of killing. That's kind of rare, <laughs> Yeah, man. it's very rare. Yeah, the chorus teacher, very strange guy, but for musicians, we probably think he was normal. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he would be like, you got to check out this Stella by Starlight. And I didn't know what it was. And what, Wait, what grade was this? Uh, this was 11th grade. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't really start getting serious about jazz until 11th grade. Okay. But I played, you know, in my house, it was like, you got to play for the choir, play in church. It was just right. what you do. Right, right, But right. then I was like, oh, this is close. It's similar chords, changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the chorus teacher would just give me a pile of work to do, which I just thought was normal. Yeah. So I would just go home and practice six hours, seven hours every day, come back and play it. He was like, you actually could play this. <laughs> I was like, well, you said to learn it. Right. <laughs> so... So then that's what was the process for several, okay. for about a year. For about a year? Yeah. And then how did you, you went to college for music, right? Yeah. Uh, when I was a senior, I uh, won several awards in Boston. Um, Harvard composition contest, big band. I was writing big band. And oh, actually oh, classical shit. orchestra stuff. I was supposed to go to Carnegie Mellon. Oh, wow. And I turned that down um, because I was going to Berkeley College of Music in high school. I finished early. So I would oh. go down half the day mm-hmm. and play with those cats okay and so when i was going down the guys who were there was anthony wanzi charles craig um roy and those antonio those cats it right. just left but i caught antonio hart yeah yeah t odros avery mark simmons adonis rose okay so i was playing with them so i was right. just I thought that was normal <laughs> <laughs> you know i was like oh every jazz musician plays like this right yeah, so when I finished uh, high school, I was supposed to go to Carnegie Mellon, got accepted, and then I decided the last minute, I'm not going. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my dad was like, he didn't get upset. He was just like, okay, so what's your plan? Right. And I said, well, my plan is uh, I'm going to go down to Berkeley and figure out how to get a scholarship. And he was like, well, you've got a month. <laughs> get it done. Yeah, let's let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I went down to the dean's office. The dean is seeing me around because okay. I was tuning pianos at the school. Oh. One of my internships was tuning pianos at Berkeley. Okay. So I had keys to all the rooms. Okay. So the teachers thought I was this internship college student, but I was actually in high school. So they all knew me. Right. So um, I just walked into the dean's office. Said, "Hey, Mr. Carter, you know." Um, I'd like to come here. And he was like, don't you already go here? <laughs> I was like, actually, no, I'm a senior in high school. And he said, okay, well, it's only three weeks left till school starts. 
there's not too much we can do for you, but do you wow. got an audition tape? And I was like, yeah. And I pulled it out my briefcase and was like, bam. You had a briefcase? Yeah. In high school, I used to wear suits in a briefcase oh, four damn. days a week. And then the fifth day was my dress down day. Okay. So I treated it like a real job. So wow. they laughed at me in school, but there's still a picture of me in front of the school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my director makes fun of me. He's cool about it, though. So, yeah, I had a, I had a briefcase, pulled it out, gave him the tape. He was like, all right, I'll listen to it. I said, that's all I can ask, you know, at this point. He checked it out, and then about 10 days later, I got a letter in the mail saying I was accepted to wow. Berkeley, and they gave me two-year scholarship. Do you remember what you played on your audition plate? Uh, well, it was a tape. When I was in high school, I made tapes to sell. Piano? Yeah, yeah, I had a recording. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I made a recording uh, after I finished 11th grade because I was like, I'm going to sell these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was out on the road selling gigs and stuff. So. Was it jazz or gospel? Yeah, no, it, it was, was jazz. jazz. It was jazz. Yeah, it was called In the Shed. In the Shed, jazz yeah. mixtape. Yeah, that's what it was. It was jazz <laughs> mixtape. So what I was doing when I was a senior in high school, I was uh, cutting grass, raking okay. leaves. And, you know, while I was doing that, I was thinking about music stuff I need to do in the future, get my plan together. And uh, all the tools for this guy's yard I used to clean was in this huge shed. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to do a recording called In the Shed. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all that. That was a term all the cats, cats were using you anyway. So I had a picture of me coming out the shed with my briefcase like this. <laughs> <laughs> it looks funny and corny, but people's like, what is this? Man, can cats get that now? You got that? Uh, I don't know where it's at. I know okay. my folks got it. Okay. You know, it was a tape. And you should and, digitize uh, that. Yeah, I'm sure my dad probably already has. <laughs> yeah, but it was like Green Dolphin Street, Autumn Leaves. Okay. You know, just typical standards that you should learn mm -hmm. at that age. So, so yeah, so I gave him the tape, and they sent me the letter. and Got in, and my dad was like, okay. <laughs> and they, they gave you a scholarship? Uh-huh. Full scholarship? No, no, two years. Two, year, two yeah. years, okay. Yeah, so so said, two, what I mean is those two years were taken care yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, I was okay. good. Yeah, it was like, once I get in, then I can figure it out from there. So it was, uh, it was pretty good. You know, cool. but while I was there, you know, I tell a lot of my students at school, when I was working at Berkeley as a high school student in the rooms, I would go around and clean up everything and mm -hmm. pianos, help tune the pianos. Students would leave the books and everything around. So when I was in 11th, 12th grade, I'd just pick up the books, take them home and read them all. Ah, uh, okay. You know, so I was actually reading all this stuff. I said, well, I'm going to need to know this at some point. Mm -hmm. So when I happened to end up going there and taking the test and everything, I, I had already known. Right. You were prepared. Yeah, I already had like three semesters of stuff that I was able to test out of, and just because I read it and been use, using it, right? You know, so it was pretty normal to me at that point. Mm -hmm. so. so, did you like? You know, a lot of people have conflicted mm -hmm. stories about Berkeley in particular. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy your time there? Did you yeah, I had a it? great time. I tell people it's not for everybody, mm -hmm. even though I had a great time. Um, it depends on your personality. Yeah, you can get a lot out of it if you're focused and disciplined. Yeah, okay. You know, I'm I'm very pro Berkeley if you're very pro doing some work and being independent. Yeah. If you need somebody to hold your hand and do that, it might not be the place for you. Right. You know, so um yeah, I'm for it's great great place to network. If you can do the work and network, you get a lot out of it. Yeah. But don't over network. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? <laughs> you can over network and not do any work. Oh okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. you just out networking. Oh, that's called hanging. <laughs> yeah, hanging, right. <laughs> yeah, you just hanging, so Okay, yeah. cool. So then, then after Berkeley, did you go straight to New York? No, after Berkeley, uh, I finished Berkeley in two years, 93 to 95. Two years? Yeah, yeah. I went wow. through the summers. I took six courses every semester. Wow. Um, 
yeah, I was like, I'm here to do some work. I'm getting in, getting out, and then okay. I'm going to New York. Right. So I finished that, and then um, Boston Conservatory started a master's program while I was there, and I was the first class. And they said, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, is it free? <laughs> and they were like, well, we could work something out. And I right. said, well, yeah. Right. So then I just went next door and did that. Okay. So that was 95, 96, and I did that in three semesters. And so then, you got two degrees in four years. Yeah. Wow. And then after that, um, while I was there, I was hanging out in New England Conservatory because the Monk Institute was there. Okay. So I was playing with those guys, and then the guys from Hartford were coming up. It was actually, now that we look back at it, it was a great time. Mm-hmm. You know, because when I was there, you know, Darren Barrett was at the uh, Monk Institute, Jamal Haynes, uh, Kiara Kamahiwa. Um, the band was great. Helen Sung. Oh, wow. Yeah, Helen was in the band. Um, Sean Thomas on drums. So I was hanging around with them. We were all friends. Wow. Uh, then that band ended, and then I auditioned for the Monk Institute. Okay. And then ended up getting into that. Okay. Yeah, so that time, uh, it was me, uh, Wayne Escoffrey, yep. Ellie DeGibri, okay. you know, Derek Nevergeld, there's cats, everybody. Yeah. They know now. But we were all kind of hanging up. Like I said, the cats in Hartford would come up. Right. Wayne would come up. Jimmy Green would come up and play. So we all knew each other before we all got to New York because we were playing at Wally's. Ah. We were playing Wally's three days a week in Shannon. Rehearsed during the day. We'd get a record, learn the whole record. Wow. Learn everything and do that record. Wow. So which cats don't really do now. (laughs) A lot of people ask me, oh, why do you know these tunes? Because that's what we were doing. You know, a lot of people learn a song or two off a record. Then it was... We're going to learn this record this week. Yeah. And we go to the club and we play that record. Wow. So, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. How did you feel like that that type of study benefited you? Oh, I mean, it was great because it showed you what you had to do. And we were all trying to get to New York. Mm-hmm. You know, Ruben Rogers was my roommate for eight years. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, so when we were learning the records, he was there. He was already playing with everybody. Right, right. You know, but that was great for all of us because... You know, when he come home, we get to shed and play. Cats come to the crib. Right. Hutch. Yeah. Benny Green. Margrew. I, you know, they would rehearse in my room. Wow. Because I had the drums, I had the piano, he had the bass. Okay. So it was great. So by learning those whole records and tunes and asking cats the questions, you know, you could actually get to what you need to really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And then everybody was friends. Everybody was accessible. It wasn't like, oh, I don't like this cat. At least as far as I know. Right. And if they did, they were still helpful, <laughs> you know, because we all ended up in New York or playing or making a living out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so by doing that, it showed a lot of discipline. The other thing, too, is you didn't want to be the weak link in the group. Right. Yeah, so if you've got four other cats that you know are going to check it out, <laughs> you, you know. check it out, too. Yeah, you better be on it. Right. Because it was like, that was just the vibe. Yeah. So it was good. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's like a whole whole different that's a school in itself. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of yeah. people don't realize that there's the actual physical school and then there's what you get outside of school, which you hear all the time, but people don't really realize it. A lot of musicians that I was around benefited from both because we had the in-school situation and out-of-school. Mm-hmm. You know, so by the time it came time to play a gig or go somewhere, you were actually prepared already. Right. Um, and then so after that, was it New um, York? After or? the Monk Institute, yeah, all of us said we're out. You're out. Everybody. Everybody together went to New York. Yeah, we all moved the same day, August 30th, 1999. Wow. 
was like me, Ruben, John Lampkin, just everybody was like, peace. Wow. <laughs> it's time to go. Because we were already going back and forth playing. Right. What was that transition like for you? It was easy because we were already going back and forth playing. You know, the plan was, and we would talk about it and we were doing it, we'd do some gigs in Boston, then we'd go down and do some gigs in New York, go back and forth. It was drivable. Right. Or you get on a bus. So it was made for a very easy transition getting there to live. Mm-hmm. So when cats, when Daxi moved there and lived there, it was like, oh, they're already here. Right. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I just made this leap. Right, right. What right. do I do now? Right. That wasn't that different. The cats on the New York scene, they already knew you. Yeah, they already knew you. Cats were playing with each other. The cats in heart, they went down. We went down. It was, it was a big group of people. You mm-hmm. know, I see it as waves, whether it's Berkeley or New York. You see every three or four years, there's a group of cats that come through. Right. You know, and if you look at it historically, that's pretty much how it was set up. You have people falling the cracks, but you see groups of musicians who hang, and, right? You know, just by age and who they're around. Yeah, and that's how it works a lot of times. And then it's like a survival method in New York. Mm-hmm. You need you need a crew. Yeah, you need some people around that actually know what's going on. When you need some help, when you need a place right. to crash. Right. Because right. I remember when I would go to New York, I would go crash at Anthony Wanzi's house. Okay. I knew Wanzi because of Berkeley. Right. Like we used to share. He turned me on to find this newborn. Ah. You know, so it was very, it was it was a lot smoother than a lot of people have had it. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Yeah, but right. a lot of that has to do with having a plan and knowing people. Of course. Like, yeah. so how did the Wenton thing come about? Um, well, when I was living, Ruben and I was living together, he was playing with him. So I would see them all the time, go to the shows. Okay. Um, Ruben was playing with the small group? Yeah, the small group. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, Elu, um, Ali, Ruben, and different horn players coming in. And out. Okay. So I would see them all the time and hang out, but I never played. I was just around, writing yeah. everything down, and going home and shed it. <laughs> right. So you know, it was cool. It was fine by me because yeah. you know I could play it all in here, even though I wasn't. I wasn't forcing to be there. I just wanted to check, check it, it out, and yeah. so I know it. Said so one day that you know opportunity may happen. So then when um I did a recording, my first real I guess recording with Carlos and Rodney Green. Okay. And uh, Carlos had mentioned to Wynton, hey, this is this cat, Richie, who plays piano. And I think it happened, at that time it was the Monk Institute competition and all the piano players, I think they, he would have used were in the competition. Okay. I couldn't do it because I was in the band. So um, I ended up doing a small gig with him. And uh, it was me, Carlos, EJ Strickland, and uh, Herlin came and sat in later, but it was okay. really quartet. So it was cool. It was good. It was Good gig. It was a chess gig. I remember like yesterday. Winton's, chess gig? Yeah, Winton's into chess, playing oh, chess. So it was like a chess tournament? Yeah, the world champion was a black guy from Harlem. So we were doing a benefit to raise money for kids to learn to play chess. Oh, dope. Okay. Yeah, so there was a jazz portion of it. We were supposed to play three tunes, and we ended up playing nine. Wow, okay. Yeah, so I mean, that's how I ended up. Um, he knew me. Right. But, you know, he's got 10 gazillion things to do. So right, it was of course. just like. Okay, I'll see you, little brother, one day. <laughs> and then we ended up playing. He was like, oh, man, I've been seeing you around for two years. But I was like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And then from there, he said, we're going to do a bunch of gigs. And okay. we started playing. Cool. How long were you with him? Uh, maybe about three years total. Three years, okay. Yeah, it was like in and out because I was playing with Russell Malone. Okay. Uh, playing with Winton, playing with Irvin Mayfield here and there. So, mm-hmm. you know, the small group, the septet, the big band. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So, like, what... Like, if you had to say one or two things that you learned from that experience that, you know, has helped you throughout your career, what would that be? Uh, you got to prepare. 
You got to practice and have patience. Mm-hmm. Um, those three things I think will help in general, whether it's music or anything. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that helps me out. Uh, a lot of it is preparing. You know, you don't want to get into a situation you're not ready for, even though you could actually do it or handle the job. Right. That's that's almost worse, actually. Yeah. You know, because you know you could have done something. You know, in that type of situation, you got to realize it's a lot of music, a lot of different styles. You got to check it all out. You know, so if you go into it unprepared, you're set up to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you have like a process of uh, digesting music quickly? Because I know for me, like coming from New Orleans to New York, I had to learn how to. Because in New Orleans, I was just with Ellis. Yeah. And, I yeah. Had, and my friends, I had a band. But then in New York, all of a sudden, I'm playing with a lot yeah, of different people. A lot people, of different people. A lot and of I got to styles. put all of this music in quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you only got one or two gigs in New York, mm-hmm. or else they're going to call the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. So how I did you. I think a lot of it is knowing, um, it's doing your homework. If somebody mm-hmm. calls you to play, you got to check out what are they what are they playing. Mm-hmm. Um, study it, listen to it, see where they're coming from, and that goes back to being prepared. Right. You know, right. I think a lot of digesting something is: are you prepared to receive the information? If you're not, you know, for whatever reason, you may not make the gig. Right. So, you know, a lot of people are closed-minded, so that's not going to help them. Um, if you're going with an open mind and you're prepared, you know, it will most likely work out. There might mm-hmm. be some other people ahead of you who are first call, but everybody can't make everything all the time. Right. So it depends on your philosophy. You know, if you go in thinking that, then, you know, you just got to be ready. Yeah. Somebody's going to have a family event or another gig or you just have to be ready when you get that call. Right, right, right. So, so how long were you in New York? I was there about 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, yeah. And like, how did how did you decide the exit time? Um, for me, I what happened? I was playing with Winton, and then the next thing that happened is I moved to Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and I started. My goal was to start a group uh, quintet that played bigger, not bigger, but more styles of music, but the foundation of it was jazz. Okay. So I, my brother was already in Atlanta. My sister was there. And I said, okay, I'm going to find a location to live at that I can get in and out. You know, Atlanta is the world's biggest airport. So I right. could fly to New York. There was a flight every 40 minutes at that time. Right, okay. And they weren't that expensive. So I said, I can be there, have a house, you know, still go to work, and then find some work in Atlanta. Right. So I did that, put together a group, looked for some guys for about four months, and then uh, ended up working with the NBA, okay. uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that that was the next thing mm-hmm. I did from there. And that was that was great because the Winton thing actually prepared me for that. For the, the household? Yeah. Well, um, the workload. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize how much work it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're prepared... That's going to help, but it's, you still got to put in the work and the amount of songs you have to digest. You know, because the big band, Jazzling Sunday, they play a lot of music. Right. You know, so if you, you you can't, it's not a matter of can you just play it. It's, you know, can you recall in this song in a matter of two, three seconds when you're going from chart to chart immediately? Right. A lot of people, oh, I need to hear it first. It's like, right. oh, we ain't got time for all that. <laughs> 
you know, so going to the NBA gig was very similar because we were the band. They took out all the canned music and we were playing all the tunes off the radio, the top hits. Okay. So for me, I wasn't used to it. When I put the guys together, I didn't really think anything about it. I was like, hey, we got to learn these 80 songs. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, we just learn the 80 songs. <laughs> you know, because that's what I was just used to doing. All yeah, it become time. normal for you. Yeah, it's just normal. It's like, here's, you want me to write it out? I'll write it out. If you want to learn off the recording, you learn, however you want to do it, we can figure it out. Mm -hmm. But we've got a week. Let's go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. so how did it prepare me? It prepared me for that. Right. Wow. You know, and then that's just that. That's not the personality management skills you got to have, too. You know, oh, different yeah. musicians, and this one's got this issue and that issue. And at the end of the day, you still got to get up on stage and go to work. Right. You know, so it prepares you for that, too, yeah. as well. It also prepares you on the business side as far as um, how to actually deal with other people who are not musicians. A lot oh. of people don't think about that. As soon as you say business to musicians, they think money. Right. You know, but there's a whole other side other than that. You know, mm -hmm. which will eventually lead to that. Right. But you might never get to that unless you understand how to deal with these other things first. Like what, because, what type of things specifically? Well, I mean, can you fill out a document correctly? It may sound crazy, but, you know, if they ask for these 12 things and you give them nine, you're probably not going to get a call back or be considered for whatever it is you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of business. You know, did you turn this in on time? Okay, is it legible if you write it? You know, you can type it in PDF. There's this whole other world mm -hmm. that most musicians don't even consider. And then the ones that do consider they have to figure out, are they actually completing it, not half doing a job? Right. You know, because like I said, if they ask for 12 things and you only turn in nine, you may be better for the job than somebody who turned in 12 but they turned in all 12, right. <laughs> you know? Right. So that's what I'm saying. There's this whole other side of business that before you even get to talking about the financial part of it, of course, has to be dealt with mm -hmm. to make that even happen. Right. You know, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Wow. So I want to switch gears a little bit mm -hmm. because you're a runner. Mm -hmm. And yep. I just want to talk about like how you got to that whole to, to running and enjoying it. And well, it's actually through music. Uh, my dad was a runner. I used to run with him as kids. Okay. Me and my best friend Casey, his dad would run and my dad uh, would run together. So we'd run with them, but it was fun as a kid. Then as I got older, I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to play basketball. Ain't nobody <laughs> out running. Yeah. And then um, when I was in Atlanta, I started running again. One of the reasons I started running was because we were playing a lot of basketball with Wenton and the Septet. Okay. And Wenton would just beat on me. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. It was like, it was grueling, grueling. Come on, man. Yeah, it was grueling. It would be him, Victor, Herlin. Yeah, and it would be me, Seneca, Eric Wright. We, we had teams. It was good. Yeah. We had teams. Like, we were on the road playing. Wow. Yeah, and, and I was Which... like, I can't let these guys. <laughs> they just beating up on They just, they played together for years. They had right. better teamwork. You know, so we won a couple here and there, but after one tour, I just went home. I said, I'm getting beat because I'm just out of shape. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, so I said, if I'm going to lose, I'm at least lose and be in shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I started running. Okay. Yeah, and then I came back, and uh, Wenton and I had a conversation on the court, and we were good. Y'all good? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was good. It was what good. does that mean? You beat him? Um, 
There was a point differential. Okay. That was, was different. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I let people ask him about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> because we still talk about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we joke about it. All right. So, yeah, but that was our thing, playing basketball. It was oh, fun. That's cool. that's cool. So for me, I was like, oh, okay. I just need to get in shape. Yeah. So then I started running from there. Yeah. And then uh, started running a lot. And yeah. it was good for the music side, too, because I was practicing and running. And I think they both helped. Mm-hmm. Each other, the mind and the physical. So you, the most amazing thing is you didn't only run; you ran across the country, right? Yeah, um, I ran a marathon, um, and then ran a couple of those. Met, joined the team in Atlanta; they were really helpful. And then, um, what happened? I there was this program called Steps Across America. Okay. And Steps Across America was sponsored by Sportline Pedometers and Walmart. And they picked 12 people from around the country to go from Chelsea Pier in New York to Santa Monica Pier. Okay. So we had sponsorship, a bus and everything. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, I made it through those that process. So how many miles a day were y'all running? We were supposed to do 20. 20 miles a day. Yeah, the process was 20 miles on. The next day, you do an educational clinic. Okay. You do four of those. And then the day after, you would do um, like some type of sponsorship event for Walmart. We go to a Walmart and we talk about physical fitness uh-huh. and whatever it is you did. Oh, cool. So, like for me, I played music. So, I would talk to people about physical fitness. And, you know, I played right. piano and things like that. And it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then that schedule would rotate. Okay. So that was good. And it was actually called Steps Across. So you, some people were walking. Um, I ran a lot of it um, just due to everybody couldn't do it every day, just right. physically. Some people got injured. Some people got sick. Right. So when somebody went down, then I would just run it. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes I would do 20 today, 20 tomorrow, Okay. 10 the next day. And for me, I was just trying to push myself to see when I would break. And I could kind of feel, okay, this is getting too much, so yeah. I would back off. But I also wanted to make sure the team would make it. Right. You know, because the whole goal was to get all 12 of us across the country. And, and everybody was different ages. And it was like oh. 18 up to 73. Oh, shit. It was shit. a 73-year-old couple that were doing it. Wow. And actually, they they did the whole thing. It, wow. The oldest people <laughs> were the ones who were fine. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. How long did that take? That that uh, that took three months. Three months. Yeah, three months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then you also did a thing where you ran around the world. Yeah. So after I did that, um, I did another tour. That same company asked me to do a tour for Richard Branson, Virgin Mobile. Okay. So I became a spokesperson for him. Saved a penny. Wow. So I did that tour, um, going up and down the East Coast. I had a team with me and. We're doing all huge events. At that time, it was Nars Barkley who was huge. Okay. So I was emceeing and hosting all these rock concerts, <laughs> music concerts, meeting all these different bands and musicians, um, which was fun. And then since it was for Virgin Mobile, they had a big concert they would do every year in London. Okay. They still do. So we would give out phones and shirts and T-shirts to get people to sign up. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Then after that... Um, uh. I don't want to say a tour, but this guy had a concept to send a team to run around the world for Blue Planet Run. Okay. And I read about it, and um, I applied for it. And then my coach in Atlanta 
she had heard about it. And she Your said, running coach. Yeah, okay. yeah. She said, you should apply for this. And I said, I actually already did. She yeah. said, oh, really? I said, yeah. So I had like four different people tell me. So I went through that, and that was like serious. That was like just thought. In some ways, I think the audition or the interview process was harder than actually doing the whole run. Really? Yeah, because they they interviewed like probably 15,000, 20,000 people. What were they looking for? Um, it, ironically, it wasn't about running. You would think because it was a running mm-hmm. situation, but they weren't looking for that. And I realize that now they were looking for people who were disciplined. They were looking for pe- type A personalities because they need, they wanted people who were going to finish right what they started. So you need a certain type of personality, which works good and it works bad. How so? Because at that, they had 20, 20 runners. So if you pick 20 people who all have the same personality, you're oh. bound to have some situations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's why I was saying early a lot of the business is figuring out how to deal with personalities. Right. You know, Did so Did they stick all y'all on one bus or Um well we had 20 runners and we had like 26 staff. Okay. You know, cuz you have to think about to get that amount of people to move around the world, it's not just running, it's logistics. Right. You know, the cars, the bikes, the buses, flights, the clothes. Um, fortunately, we had a great team that did it from Atlanta, Ignition. They're really mm-hmm. popular. They did the torch for the uh, Olympics. Okay. So you figure if they can get a torch around the world, you know, they, they can, can do this. Yeah. yeah, and they did. They did a great job. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of it, and it was fun. That okay. took like three and a half months, but that was that was training. Like wow. we spent a week at Lake Placid, New York before we left. Mm-hmm. And that was just training. And I remember that like it was yesterday because I had played with the septet. They did their 10 year reunion of in this house. So I did that. Okay. And literally that ended, we did four nights at Rose Hall. That ended, that was end of May. That gig ended. It was like an after gathering finished at one at four. I was going to LaGuardia to get on a plane. I had to fly to Canada, and then they drove me from Canada down to Lake Placid because I wow. had to be at training camp at 9 in the morning. Wow. And that's where the Olympics was held. That's okay. why they had us train there back in the day in the States. Mm-hmm. So literally, 1 in the morning, I was in New York City at 9. I'm running with 19 other people. <laughs> you know, wow. we're out training in the mountains. So that was pretty wild. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. a lot of work, but it was something that I'm glad I did. And people ask, would you do it again? And all of us on the team say no. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you do once in your life. And then, you don't need to do that again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's fun, crazy, but no, I don't need to do it again. What was it like taking that much time off from playing? Um, it didn't bother me because before a lot of people asked, well, could you be away that long? I said, if you're a working musician, people are going to assume you're busy. Right. The thing is trying to keep some type of presence where you just don't disappear. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. The second thing is making sure you still have some type of connection to music. For me, I didn't really think being gone for three months is going to affect me playing wise. Yeah, it's going to, I'm going to have to build back up, you know, my chops when I come back. But I can deal with that. I can deal with that. Yeah. I think it's more about listening. My perspective was being away. I need to make up for my actual physical practice time, checking out all these other CDs and things that I've wanted to do or I need to know about. So right. for me, I'll be like, okay, today I'm going to go through these two, three CDs. I'm going to listen to them. 
intensely try to do some ear training because you got to figure i did a lot of running right so while i'm out there running i have time to do nothing but listen right <laughs> you know so even though i couldn't sit at a piano by the time i was done running or in the van waiting for my teammates to be done running i've listened to a lot of music mm -hmm. you know i'm taking mental notes and writing down notes you know so when I get to the piano, I know these. this is what I need to go to. Right. So I think a lot of it's time management. Mm -hmm. How did you push yourself past, like, I'm assuming you had some mental roadblocks, you know, while running. Like, how did you, how did you push yourself past those roadblocks? Um, <clears throat> when you say roadblocks, are you referring to you know, like, just physically running? Yeah, like, I, like you know, working when you're out. working out or when you're yeah, running yeah. and, like, you just hit the wall. and you, But you'd have to, you got, like, Yeah, in that mile. situation... It's do or die. And mm -hmm. that's why I said they look for A-type personalities. Because we were in China. And all of us got there. And we got there in different waves, like hours apart because we were running. But this one hotel we all stayed in. When we went to eat, the food, this was the, one of the first places we could actually eat. And it was really good. Mm -hmm. You know, you figure in China, I'm going to get some Chinese food. Right. That's a great idea, but a bad idea. Because if you're American, you're thinking Chinese food is what it is in the States. Right. And it is not the same. <laughs> so we got there and pigged out. We had a great time. But the next day, 13 of us were done. Because oh. the way the food is prepared is completely different. And we were running. By that time, we had been out. We were in China. It was definitely seven weeks. Okay. So everybody was in, sh in good shape. But we all caught the same stomach issue. Wow. Yeah, so if you have 13 of 20, 21 people sick, that's a problem. Right. Yeah, so when you talk about mental you know, roadblocks, that was one for all of us because it was like, look, what are we going to do? We got to make this thing because you have a schedule. We got to be at certain checkpoints to get this thing done on time because we have, we're on TV. We're on right. National Geographic. We got these media meetings. So most of us still ran. Some of us couldn't. So I remember one day I was just, I didn't think I was going to make it, but I kept at it, you know. So instead of running like eight-minute pace, I was running like nine, nine and a half. So it was slower, but it just didn't feel good. And then, you know, one of my buddies, he would run some with me. And, you know, when you're with people that much, they know when you're struggling. Right. You know, so we'd help each other get through it. Mm -hmm. And then when I feel good, I'd help somebody else. And then... Some of the members that didn't get sick, like Emmanuel from Kenya, he could do drop 20 like nothing. Oh, there were wow. some days we were like, yo. He'd be like, okay. He was a happy-go-lucky dude all the time. So there was days, you know, he would do several 20s. Wow. Three or four days in a row to make up for the other people who couldn't run. Okay. You know, one of my teammates, Victor, he couldn't run for like two weeks. You know, so instead of me doing my mileage, we had five teams of four people. We were each responsible for a certain amount of mileage. All of us said, well, we'll do extra three extra miles to cover his portion. Right, right. So that worked out good. You know, so it's a, it's a team team thing. You know, it's, it's yourself, but at some point you might have to reach out to somebody else. And right. I think if they're serious about helping you or seeing what your goal is, it can work. Yeah. You know, so it is personal too, but you have to want to make it happen. If you don't really want to make it happen – it's hard to find somebody to help you that's going to make it happen. Yeah. And that could be music, running, math, engineering. <laughs> you know, I think 
most musicians who end up succeeding is because somebody before them saw them and helped them. Oh, for you sure. Know, that's one yeah. of the things I, I've gotten a lot from when I was in the Monk Institute playing with Clark Terry and all these great musicians, Jimmy Heath right. and all of them. They'll help you if you're serious. If you're right. not serious, don't even waste right. waste your time. If something else, they could be with their families. They could mm-hmm. be doing whatever it is they want to do. You know, so I think that's something to really consider. Yeah. You know, which is something I think about a lot. You know, doing the job that I do now, people ask, you know, why do you hire this person and not this person? I said because this person at some point, it may not be next year, but ten years from now, is going to help somebody else, mm-hmm. and they're going to be successful. You know. And success comes in different ways. Some people right. think, oh, if you're on TV, you're successful. If you make ten gazillion dollars, and you're successful. To me, that's not really a true measurement of success. It is one way, right? But for me, progress can be success if you're getting better. Yeah. You know, whether it's I'm running this mile one second faster than yesterday, okay. Then the next day, a second faster, or maybe ten seconds, whatever that is. You know, you're making progress, and that is success. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. So, like, man, so the next, I th- at least to me, it seems like the next phase of your life was teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, teaching, you know, teach um, so you University left, of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So you left Atlanta for Wisconsin. Um, When I left Atlanta, I actually went to Baltimore, and I was okay. at Duke Ellington, and I was doing stuff uh-huh. with the Monk Institute. Okay. And then from there, I went up to Minneapolis and was there and then started playing and ended up at Eau Claire. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, and I still work with them. They're great friends, great people. Yeah. You know, getting Wait, music out. David King, th- doesn't he teach up there? Um, I don't know if he's at Eau Claire. He might be at Madison. Okay. So, so yeah, so teaching is a big part of what I do because mm-hmm. that's how I learn. Yeah. So. And did you find yourself, like, taking the lessons you learned from running and from Oh, yeah, definitely, like, all the time. Did those did the students, like, accept those lessons? Oh, or yeah, yeah. They so, did? Yeah, some of them are on YouTube. People look at some of the classes I've done. And talk to them. And it's good to have something else other than music. Right. Especially when you're talking to people who aren't sure if they're going to go into music. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they see you as a more worldly person. They see right. you have, having something else, you know, as as opposed to just sitting at the piano practicing 12 hours a day. You can right. do that, but then there's life. <laughs> you know, do you know what a piece of steak tastes like? Right. You know, some people don't. You know, but in order to talk to somebody else, if you're trying to get them in the music fold or have them do something or be successful, you know, you got to have some type of correlation mm-hmm. to be able to just talk to another human being. Right. I mean, it might not even be about music. You know, most of the time people remember stuff about me that has nothing to do with playing. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who runs. And somebody would be like, no, that's the guy who plays piano. Right. That's right. different perspective. Oh, that's my professor. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just coming from different things. Right. Or, you know, that's the guy who likes smoothies. You know, diff- different people like different things. What was the biggest challenge you faced as a teacher? To as like- a teacher, figuring out how to teach somebody who doesn't want to learn. Oh, did you figure it out? Um, I'm still figuring out, but one <laughs> of the things that helped me do that was running. Mm. You know, aside from wanting to get better and being in physical shape, one of the other reasons I started running, it was something I did not like. Because you can figure out other ways to get in shape. People are like, well, why running? You know, I, yeah, you could do another form of cardio. Right. But I did not like running. Okay. So for me, it was, how am I going to learn to do something I don't like? Mm-hmm. And my perspective was, if I'm teaching somebody to do something they do not like, I have to understand the process that they're going through. A lot right. of musicians don't think about that, I don't think. 
you know, we just do what we do and you get it, take it or leave it. Right. But if you're in a university setting, a lot of people there, they need to get through this class so they can graduate. <laughs> it's not really about are they going to be a pianist, violinist or whatever. They just need an arts class or something. Right. So, and I get that. But getting that, I still need to be able to teach them efficiently. And right. I need to understand how to teach them something they really don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Because they might actually end up like doing it. Right. <laughs> like me. Like now I run and I don't, you know, it's just part of what I do. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's how I look at it. So, I mean, that's, that was my view. Man, so then you taught and now you're here mm-hmm. in Doha, Qatar. Yep. yep. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like you've done so many different jobs, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, which is unusual for a musician because yeah, yeah. mostly musicians are like Yeah, they do what vision. they do. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with my dad and my brother, my younger brother, you know, we were taught and my grandfather just keep your eyes open, listen, always look around. You know, you have what you specialize in, enjoy mm-hmm. it and love it and do it, but don't close the door to something else. You don't know what that could lead to. Right. Like, you could end up owning a building in Pakistan. You know, right. I mean, it could be anything. Right. But if you close that conversation down before it even happens, then it will never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was in middle school and high school, I was selling oranges, I was cutting hair, I was selling candy bars. Yeah. It was like I was on the grind. My dad was like, okay, what's your plan? What you going to figure out? What you going to do? Right. And I have to put it together, put it on paper, figure it out, get a team of people. And I was doing this in like ninth, tenth grade. Wow. You know, so. So your pop was a beast. He, yeah. He was like, yeah. this is how real life works. Yeah, this is what right it is. Then. Yeah. You know, so when people look at myself or my brother, they say, oh, it comes so naturally. I was like, uh, yes and no. We've been around it, but there's. There's a way to think about a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that mindset, it's going to make a big difference musically and non-musically. Like what right. I was saying earlier, it goes back to being successful and dealing with people who aren't in your profession. Right. You know, because they don't necessarily understand what it takes to be on a stage. Yeah. You know, people just see you on the stage. They don't realize, oh, I had to actually practice this music. Then I had to go to rehearsal then I had to try to download the music. Then I had to try to print out the music. By the right. time you get to all that, you know, it's 10 hours then pass. And, you know, it's just a whole lot that goes into it. And then you got to be happy and smile on stage and right. still play great. There's a whole process to it. Right. That happens that it's not even music. Right. That's just talking <laughs> about music. Right. You know, so a lot of that is learning what the skill set is, which unfortunately, um, a lot of schools you don't get. Yeah. You know, they teach you all the stuff you think you want to know. But then when you get out there, you realize nobody actually told me that I actually have to figure out how to write an allocation form to get paid (laughs) to do this. What class was that in? Right. You know, it's like I have to turn this in. I got to have a passport. I got to have all these things. It's like, yeah, if you want to gig. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, man, like. You know, one of the things I admire about you most is, like, mm-hmm. in the face of adversity or if, if some shit seems stressful, mm-hmm. you always, on the outside, look calm. Yeah, well, a lot of it is being able to keep your composure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm not stressing, but, you know, it's like a quarterback. If the quarterback on the football team is stressing out, everybody else sees that, and it just rubs off on them. Right. You know, it's like seeing somebody who's happy. There's There's an employee here. I see her every day. She's always happy. Yeah. Just happy. <laughs> I'm like, if I'm sad, I just look at her. She's just happy. Yeah. That rubs off on people. Mm-hmm. It's like looking at a band that looks sad. I don't know if they're going to get hired again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they may be amazing players, but depending on where you're at, 
that's not going to work in a lot of places. Right. You know, it's great to have people who enjoy what they're doing and that comes across in the audience. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times, I don't think a lot of musicians realize, but when they're talking to customers, they may be like, oh, yeah, you sound great. That's true. A lot of them are thinking, you look great, too. You look happy with what right. you're doing. It's it's a complete package. Yeah. And one without the other doesn't mean you won't work. It just cuts down your chances of working. Right. So. Yeah. Man, so... Like, what are some some things that you're grateful for, you know? Um, I'm grateful for my family. You know, my parents, um, they've always been supportive. Um, I'm grateful for being able to play music, being able to travel, meet different people. Um, my brothers, just the people I come in contact with. Um, I try to be grateful for most things. Um I'm grateful for great food. (laughs) I think about that a lot, especially when you travel with musicians. That's something you really see when they can get a good home cooked meal. Yeah. That takes it to another level. Yeah. That that sets it off. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So family, food, traveling, um, there's a lot of things, but those are definitely at the top of my list. Yeah. I used to always say playing music. Um, As I get older, I am grateful. I'm thankful for that. But I'm thankful for the people and situations that provide me to do that, uh, you know, so that I can actually do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um. What's next? I'm still play music. I have some things coming up. Um, be some CD projects, some written projects. I've, you know, I'm working on some things for 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my plan. I always tell people, just keep your eyes open. I, I never really say exactly what's going to happen. But for me, it's not so much about um, being, I don't want to say this, you know, letting people know exactly what you're doing. Um, I think it's a lot of it is being proactive and talking to different people and I don't think it's all about being known as the person, oh, so-and-so does this or do that. I think you can be successful and have a business and take care of things and be great at it and kind of be undercover. I don't right. think you need to be on the forefront of Time Magazine all the time. And You know, it, a lot of times I hear people say, would you rather be the guy who has everything or a guy who has a little less than everything and not be known i'd rather be able to walk around the mall and do what i want to do <laughs> right right right. you know hang out you know so i have some things and projects i'm always be doing something people may not know oh he's behind that or related to it but for me it's it's not so much about me it's more about what is the idea what is what is the team doing right you know i don't i don't necessarily need my name on it for me it's about in this situation, music. Yeah. Is it music, you know, being passed on, whether it's jazz or whatever it is, you know, and are people working and successful? Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm a jazz musician. doesn't mean I don't play other stuff. I enjoy other styles of music, salsa, funk, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. We're all musicians trying to work. But the thing is just trying to make sure people have different avenues to do what they need to do. 
you know, I'd rather musicians leave wherever they're at or go to a next place having work or be able to provide for their family mm-hmm. than just be sitting at home complaining about not yeah, working. Right. You know, so if you're proactively doing something to create a situation, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, because you could just be sitting at home practicing, which is great, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a gig. Right, exactly. You know, a exactly. lot of people say there's not enough gigs out here. There's not this. You're right. Well, I always say, well, what are you doing about it? You're right. <laughs> create something. Yeah, create it. Yeah. I mean, go find a place. Well, I don't have the skills for this. Go read a book. Right. Well, I don't know. Go get on the internet. Yeah. You know, when you start saying but, 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 I tell people after you get to the second but, most business people are going to be like, next. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're not actually solving a situation. Exactly. You know, and that kind of goes back to what you were telling me, being stressful and everything and the sky is falling out. You're right. But that could be happening. But at the same time, you got to be figuring out how am I going to solve the situation? Freaking mm-hmm. out about it is not going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. You know, so, Man, if you could uh, give, you know, the young guys coming up mm-hmm. behind you just a couple points of advice mm-hmm. for success or some maybe some guys want to follow in your footsteps, what mm-hmm. would that be? Um, it goes back to the three Ps I tell people. You got to... Um, Practice, and it doesn't have to be music, but whatever your thing is, you have to practice it, get the experience over and over, because that will force you to come across different situations Mm -hmm. and learn how to deal with it. The next one is you have to have perseverance. You know, things are going to happen, but you got to want it, so you got to persevere. The last thing is you got to have patience. Just because it happens for your friend or it's happened for him doesn't mean it should happen for you immediately. Mm. There might be a reason why it hasn't happened. You know, I used to think about that a lot when I was in college. A lot of my friends were out on gigs playing with all these people, and I'm sitting at home practicing. Right. I, I just keep telling myself it's not time yet. I need to learn more tunes. I need to get learn this thing over here, you know, so I can be ready in case this happens or right. prepare for this. So you want to use other people as a measure to know what they're doing so you can be prepared, Mm -hmm. but the patience, because if you're working for it in discipline and you show yourself and you're ready for it, it'll happen. But you don't want to get to a situation, like I said earlier, and be like, okay, I'm ready for it and get up there and they call up a tune at 280 in key of B and you can't do it. And be like, Oh, I just didn't practice. Right. You know, that means you got to go back to the drawing board. And it's harder to rekindle a relationship, something that's happened with someone like that, whether right. it's music or business, than it is to start off fresh. Right. You know, so, yeah, I say the three Ps. That is. Man, thank you for coming on the Working Artist oh, Project. Oh, yeah, groovy. Richard Johnson. <laughs> RJ Jazz. <laughs> My man, thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to The Working Artist Project. But before you go, I just need you to do one more thing. Don't forget to hit the like button and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also reach me at DarianDouglas.com. Just when you get there, just go to the contact page, drop me a line. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know if you like the podcast. I want to know if you want to hear certain topics, whatever it is. 
just let me know let me know what it is and i'll i'll do my best to make it happen oh yeah yeah, yeah. before i forget also you can catch me on facebook by typing in the working artist project uh or you can just type in darian douglas i'm looking forward to connecting with you later